Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too. How are you holding up? Um, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not doing anything uh, mad, uh, you know, like mm. going to the beach or stuff like that, like people are. Um, yeah. How much has your life changed in this period? Not hugely, mm. not hugely, because um, we don't have real jobs. We don't have real jobs. I do most of my work from home. The, my studio, um, my podcast studio in in the city centre, I have uh, closed that down. Um, right. So I'm not going in and out of there to produce podcasts for for other people. But you know, on a day to day basis, you know, I'm I get up, I you know walk the dogs. There's mm-hmm. the dogs now because someone just rang on the door. Probably, I don't know who it is. Virus checkers or somebody. Yeah. Um. And and that that's kind of it. I do my work and I you know I kind of exist at home. Um, and when you walk the dogs, is it easy enough to you know keep your distance from people? Yes. Is it quiet out? It it is in some places, but parks and stuff are really busy. And I, I'm I'm sure you've seen similar scenes in the UK. Oh yeah. But at the weekend here, I, people are treating this as some kind of holiday which mm-hmm. is really weird like the the seaside some of the, the the there's a village in north county dublin called hoth a fishing village which is a lovely place but it was apparently jammed with families and all kinds of people having a day out and you're thinking i mean look i get the idea that you go somewhere there where you could be far away from people but you know even up in the mountains some of the 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 stuff that was going on up there like traffic jams because people are going up the mountains to have walks and stuff it's i don't know it's weird what well, i mean what's it been like for you uh well it's quite weird in london i mean so i've sort of pretty much been on total lockdown especially cuz earlier in the week my wife developed a, a, a tiny cough and we just didn't want to take any chances whatsoever so i've basically been confined to the flat but I can see from my window, uh, you know, people going about their business in relatively normal fashion. I mean, the numbers are smaller, but there's definitely people out and about. And yesterday in Britain, you know, there were these scenes from Richmond Park, from Victoria Park. They're absolutely rammed. And granted, it was a beautiful day. And I, I, I understand people needing to get outside and get some fresh air. But yeah, I think um, 
everybody kind of had the same idea at once sort of thing. And yeah. Yeah, it didn't look too good. Um, yeah, no, it, I, yeah. I don't know what's coming next, really. I mean, I do feel like, you know, there's kind of been a situation here where we've sort of been presented with the opportunity to be sensible and follow the measures and... I don't know to what extent that has happened. And so now I think maybe maybe the measures will get ramped up again. Well, you know, I think you really have to be strong in terms of your messaging, you know, and stuff like yeah. this. You can't sort of um, say, oh, just use your common sense or whatever. You have to be quite um, upfront with people and maybe almost sound harsh with people like don't do this rather than saying we would advise you it's probably better if you don't do this it's like yeah. don't do that my daughter is in barcelona um and the, you know spain is on lockdown mm. she can't go out of her apartment you can go out of your apartment to go to the supermarket or you, you can walk your receipt, dog i believe though that to prove you really in the yeah. supermarket yeah. okay i mean the, yeah there's all kinds of measures being put in place all over the all over the place, and I think it's inevitable that the similar measures are going to uh, follow here. I mean, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago or last week, didn't we? That you know, Ireland closed the schools and mm. all those kind of things. But yeah, You're a bit behind you, it seems. But yeah, I, I think it is inevitable, actually. And you know, it's funny. <laughs> There's kind of this paradox now where you've got a lot of the the most liberal people in a country claiming, like, desperate for the most draconian measures. You know, it's like, no, shut us down, remove our rights. And I'm in that camp too. You know, I want this to be locked down so that people are safe. Yeah, there was uh, a, there's a great video um, doing the rounds um, about the the infectivity. Is that the right word? Or the, the I like it as a word. Yeah. Let's hope it is. The, contag the contagiousness, contagionosity of the coronavirus. It's a professor and um, it's on the timeline of a guy called Nick Pete, um, who uh, is at PT underscore editor. And mm. this professor is saying that like, if he gets the flu, you know, he's going to infect X amount of people and he might give the flu, you know, uh, you know, if it, go if it goes 10 times, he might give the flu to 14 people. Um, if with this uh, coronavirus, he infects the same amount of people, you know, three people, uh, you infect three people with your infection, he could pass the infection on to 59,000 people, just one person. You know, it's it's astonishing yeah, how, it is. How, how this thing spreads. And I think we're seeing that, you know, a lot of people are, are testing positive for it who had no idea, you know, uh, how they got it, you know, and, and that's the way it's spreading now. So, mm, yeah, I mean... Uh Weird times. I see Arsenal have decided to not mm. return to training tomorrow, um, which feels like the right thing to do, almost in terms of just a messaging point of view. You know, I, I feel like even if, you know, I know some clubs have been training in the last two weeks um, and it's like, oh, I don't know what message that sends, really. I, I think it's good that Arsenal are like, no, we're not going to do that mm. at the time being. The statement was good, though. I mean, I, the statement was, uh, I think... Uh, very forthright from the club. He yeah. says, um, as a result of the current situation, it would be inappropriate and irresponsible to ask the players to come back. Therefore, our men's team, women and academy players are all remaining home, stay at home and save lives. Mm. So uh, that's a pretty strong message. And, you know, there's a, I guess, 
a luxury to being a professional footballer where, you know, they can afford to do that and and everything else, um, which makes it a bit different from your day-to-day work. I mean, I saw pictures this morning of, of tube trains in London absolutely rammed with people who are going yeah. to work. Um, and of course, it, people it, need to yeah. go to work. They need to earn money. They need to pay their rent and pay their bills and pay their mortgages and childcare and, and all those kind of things. You know, we all understand that. So it is a very difficult situation. It yeah. is. It is, particularly for people who are on zero out of contracts or mm. self-employed. You know, they're not going to get the level of government support that other people are in this country. So I do empathise, sympathise really with those people who feel they need to carry on working. And I'm very lucky that I can work from the confines of where I live. But yeah, it's it's a, it's still a weird, surreal time. And yeah, I, I fascinating to watch how football is responding to it and how you know, what what kind of football mm. we might see re-emerge. Um, you know, it feels like games behind closed doors, which were, you know, sort of taken off the table relatively early in discussions, something people didn't want to do. I feel like that is inevitable that when football comes back, I don't think it's going to be with full crowds, full attendances. But, uh, I can't you, see that happening. N- sure, but how how can it work even if you play behind closed doors? You have 11 men versus 11 yeah. men running around... Um, if you're genuinely trying to stop the the spread of a virus, you can't say, well, these people, because they're here for our entertainment and because they get paid a lot of money, should um, not abide to the rules or the, the advice or whatever it might be at that time that we're asking everybody else to. Mm. You know, what happens if, you know, all 11 players are... are Maybe, you know, before you can play, you have to test negative for coronavirus. Maybe that that's that's something that will happen. But, you know, uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scores uh, a goal in a game and goes, uh, you know, stops into somewhere on his way home from work and picks it up. And next time they play, you know, I just don't I just don't understand how it could possibly how it could happen. No, I mean, I mean, it sounds crazy, but maybe you're right. Maybe it would have to be about testing. But the tests, you know, it's not like a pinprick and you get a result in 30 seconds. You know, I think yeah. the tests take more time than that at the moment. So it's not like you could test them in the tunnel before they go out there. No, yeah, but um, what do you do if you, you know, test them the day before the game and then yeah. seal them in individually? I mean, you just cannot tell who has Someone come into contact with station. who or yeah, whatever. Exactly. You know, you just, there's no way. No, I, I'm inclined to agree. And every day I see put forward by football fields ambitious, doesn't it, at this stage? Um, I mean, even, I mean, was it UEFA who said they expect those seasons to be finished by June 30th? <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Good luck I with that. I think the Premier League are more realistic than that, but I, I, it, it is very difficult to see where it ends because... I don't know. I don't really know how how anything is properly safe until there is a vaccine. I really don't necessarily understand how that happens. Because let's say, hypothetically, you know, England, the UK does shut down and somehow cases, um, I don't know, dissipate and they sort of, you know, retract to sort of zero. You know, suddenly we don't have it in this country. As soon as there are open international borders, then all Mm. that changes again. Yeah, Um, I mean, look at what Italy did. Italy has been in lockdown for some time now. And yesterday, over 800 people died. 
You know, that's not a country that's ready to start playing football again, despite the fact that it's been on, you know, lockdown for for the best part of two weeks. You know, this is a this is a long process. We're we're in this for the long haul, really. Yeah. And I mean, you know, a small element of good news, I might be wrong about this, but I think Italy reported a, a smaller increase in percentage terms in terms of cases yesterday, which suggests that maybe their lockdown mm. is having some effect. They say it takes about two weeks before you see mm. any effect anyway, um, which is kind of the scary thing for the UK and Ireland is that where we are now, mm. you know, you project forward, we won't really know how bad it is for, for some time. Yeah, only 600 and something people died in Italy uh, yesterday or, the you know, compared to 800 the day before, whatever it was. So, you know, it's yeah. fewer, but it's still an astonishing uh, amount of, of people to, to lose their lives. And you think, um, you know... It, you think of all the people who are affected by that, the the, the families and the friends and, and the way that things have to happen now in terms of, it's gone a bit dark, hasn't it? But, you know, funerals and, and burials and cremations and, and the the sort of, the process of that that we've been used to, um, you know, there's a sort of a comfort in being surrounded by people and family mm. and friends who, who can be with you during a time like that. And, and that's not the case anymore. And it's, um, yeah, it is going to get worse before it gets better. That's for sure. Yes. And it feels like it's been a long time, but we're, we're very much in the beginning, aren't we still? Mm. Um, but yeah, it does seem, I mean, how long was it ago? I think less than two weeks ago that we were supposed to play Man City, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It feels and like it feels like a long time, doesn't it? Forever. So it okay. really does. So anyway, to everybody out there, um I hope you're all staying um safe and well and as healthy as you can possibly be. Um stay inside if you possibly can. If you can. Um yeah, I don't know. We'll do our best to keep you entertained and keep you off the streets, so to speak, um with what we do on the site and the podcasts and and all those kind of things. Um, Andrew. Yeah. Talk to me about Sesk. Let's talk about Sesk, baby. <laughs> um, I'll, yeah, it's, uh, what do you want to know? I want to know, well, I don't know. Are you going to, I don't know what you're going to put on the actual podcast that you put out, but are you going to talk about how it came about or yeah. what it was like to chat to him? And um, you know. Yeah, well, I haven't really talked about what it was like to chat to him um how it came about was like about nine months of uh, dms on instagram <laughs> and you know just sort of asking would he be into doing it and he said yeah and then it was a question of like well how do we get it done and you know what was maybe going to happen before christmas i seem to remember we almost almost had it arranged around october and then something happened and uh, it couldn't happen. And then there was Christmas. And then I was actually booked uh, on a flight. I could still be booked on that flight, actually, which I guess is going to get cancelled or I should uh, seek a refund for. Um, on a flight to Nice on April the 7th, I was going to go from Nice to Monaco. Uh, I had a hotel booked in Monaco and we were going to do it there on, on that afternoon in a sort of face-to-face -face thing. And obviously the way things have gone means that that is well and truly out the window. So uh, we just sort of had a few more uh, DMs and I said, well, look, you know, if you're stuck inside and I'm kind of stuck inside, you know, maybe we could do it on Skype and and pass the time a bit. 
Uh, and he said, yeah, that's great. Although he did say, what's Skype? And I thought he was taking the mickey, but... Um, he said, what's Skype? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And then eventually when he got it installed on his laptop or whatever, he said, ah, yeah, I remember this now. I remember this because I used to use it uh, when he came to Arsenal first to <laughs> to talk to his you know family and we'll have you back, back home. Sure. Um, it's all Snapchat these days, isn't it? And yeah. TikTok, probably. Exactly. Can't do can't do podcast interviews on TikTok. What was it like talking to him? It was really surprisingly easy. I was quite nervous, you know, because um, when you're speaking to somebody like that, um, there's a there's an element of um, not not starstruck or whatever it is, but you you want it to be good and you want it to be good for them, and obviously I wanted it to be good for for the listeners as well. Um, but it, it flowed very well. And I think what was really great about it is that he he was very open and very honest. Uh, and I asked him questions about, you know, arriving at Arsenal and uh, leaving Arsenal and potentially coming back to Arsenal. And some of those were, um, I'm not going to say difficult questions because, you know, this is his experience and he can tell me what happened from, from his perspective. But there might have been, uh, in some ways... A, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like some people might have worded things a little differently when talking about those oh, yeah. incidents. Natural you know, reluctance. Yeah, there, you or know, a reluctance or maybe to sort of, you know, play down certain elements of it. I don't want to give anything away, but he was mm. very honest. And, you know, some of the things, you know, may not be easy to listen to or may not be easy to hear for Arsenal mm. fans. But I, I really appreciated the fact that he didn't sugarcoat them. You know, yeah. he said how he felt and he said how he felt on, on you know, a very honest and, and open level. So it was it was really good and very enjoyable and obviously, you know, great to, to sort of... Um, make his acquaintance if you like because you know he uh, was a, a reader of the site back in the day when he first joined um, yeah of course as you know um, via a mutual friend of ours uh, there was a connection there so so that was it was good it was really good and I'm very happy with how it turned out and uh, I really hope people will will like it so can't wait to listen and yeah. did you ask him why He's such a massive snake, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I did. That was the first question I did. I actually made snake noises. I just went... <laughs> yeah, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because, you know, we did a, a podcast about Cesc last week, just yeah. reminiscing about him as a player on Handbrake Off. And, you know, even the response to that, he, he is still a relatively divisive character. You know, I think there are people who really love him, but there are also people who were really hurt by his departure, I think, and yeah, I, took it badly. I think it's fine to be really hurt by his departure, and I think it's also fine to not like him if, if that's if that's what you feel, you know? But I have to say, over the weekend, um, I, I was sort of uh, copied in on a load of tweets that were directed at him. Right, And yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. nice. A lot of them really, really weren't nice. So, you know, there's a... There's a I think there's one thing not liking somebody, um, but some of the stuff directed personally at him over the weekend that I was copied in on, I really didn't like at all. So I've done quite a lot of muting on Twitter uh, this yeah. weekend. So anyway, I, I, go on. Yeah, no, no. I was going to say, like, he's he's not a player who I feel that way about. I do have very fond memories of Sesk. And yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting how people perceive things 
differently. There are players who left Arsenal in that period, like mm. Robin Van Persie, who, for some reason, I can't quite forgive. You know, it's sure. interesting. It's just maybe it's because I think. Uh, I think I always thought Cesc would go back to Barcelona. I kind of had made my peace with it mm. from the minute he arrived to a certain extent. Maybe that made it slightly easier. Yeah, I, you know, t- I, I also think the Chelsea thing plays a big part in the way people feel about him. Uh, of course. And that, yeah. again, like, completely get that. I did basically four years of, of trying to... Um, forget he existed if you like because that was my coping mechanism like an ex-girlfriend yeah exactly yeah, no 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 no, no. and then when he yeah. left it was like oh Sesk is back that's great um, he lives but, again yeah you know but I mean look uh, that's something that we touch on in the interview as well um, it is available today for Patreon members uh, from 3pm and uh, it'll be available for everybody on Wednesday. So there you go. Everybody gets it, but the uh, Patreon members whose uh, support at this time, we really, really appreciate uh, you get it first. Um, so that's uh, a, a thanks to all you guys. Can't wait to listen. Um, will we do this thing, the the tweet oh, thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is a thing that's been doing the rounds, um, and I'm sure everybody's probably done it at this point because, you know, those people who are... Um, who are what you call it uh, self-isolating and staying at home and all that kind of stuff are desperate for anything uh, you know to pass the time but this was your all-time favourite Arsenal 11 mm-hmm. uh, and you're only allowed one player from each country yes so I've done mine have you done yours? I've done mine I, I, I don't know if I'm happy with it but I've done it and the other okay. rule is you're only allowed one of Oh, well, it's inevitable. You can only have one of Vieira, Thierry Henry. Of course, they're both French. Mm. Right. Right. Um, What formation did you pick? Mine, I would say, is like a four-diamond two or a four-three-three, maybe. Right. I've gone for a four-four-two. Okay. So should we start with the defence and the goalkeeper? Okay. Um, right, you tell me what you've got for your goalkeeper and back four. Okay, my goalkeeper and back four. Goalkeeper, Chesney. Um, right. I've got Lauren, mm. Toure. Yeah. Bold. Yeah. Tierney. Okay, interesting. Now, what I have to ask, you've gone for Steve Bold there. Yeah. Over a lot of other, even English centre-halves, mm. Tony Adams, Sol Campbell. Mm. Why Steve Bold for you? I just like, I just really liked Steve Bold as a player. That's fine. He's kind of, it says favourite. It's not like the best, is it? It's your favourite. So okay. I, I liked his kind of, his his silent assassin, central defending. Um, I always, I always liked, mm. you know, Tony Adams, an amazing player, an amazing captain, an amazing leader. Um, but, you know, just Boldy, Boldy ticks my box. Listen, so. whatever floats your boat. Mm. I've got a, a similar back five, as it were. I've got, actually got Jens Lehmann in goal. Okay. Um, I did think about Chesney, but I went for Lehmann in the end. Just really enjoyed the madness. Um, Lauren at right back. Colo mm-hmm. Torre at centre-half. Mm-hmm. They're useful nationalities, aren't they? Cameroon, yeah. Ivory Coast. We're not, Abue's not getting in, is he? So it's no. fine. <laughs> I, ha- I have gone Tony Adams. Right. And then left back. I, I've sort of got Tierney, but I've penciled in this, and you tell me if this is allowed. So Bukayo Saka is eligible for Nigeria <gasps> and has not officially declared for England, even though he's played for the youth team. Right. So can I get away with that? 
Um, Uncapped. I guess he's English, really, isn't he? I mean, he's played for England at youth level. He has, but uh, let's see here for one second. Um, I see he was born in the London borough of Ealing. He was, yeah. Like Alex Awobi, for example, was born in Nigeria, wasn't he? And then came... To the UK, oh, yeah. Okay, so all right, I'll, I'll, all right, I won't have Saka. I've got to have Tierney then. It's hard left back. It is because you know, so many Frenchmen, so many Frenchmen, more Englishmen, Spaniard, Montreal. I mean, I thought, you know, I was sort of more thinking, what's the best team I could put out? I was thinking, oh, maybe, maybe Ashley Cole, but you know, right. I, I went for Tony Adams in the end. So Campbell was close as well. Okay, so midfield, midfield, um, Jumberg. Lovely. Brady. Yeah, good choice. Fabregas. Yeah. Perez. It's a good midfield. It's a good it's midfield. It's a really good midfield. What have you got? Um, I've got Gilberto Silva. Okay. Um, who I loved and was my original sort of pseudonym on uh, online. Actually. Oh, as people will see on, on Thursday. But we'll give them yes, that announcement a little bit later. Of course. And then I have gone for... Uh, Fabregas and Vieira. Okay. Just in front of Gilberto. I mean, it seems to have everything that. We did have all those players on the books at the same time. Incredible. Mm. That's um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what have you got up front? Bergkamp. Yeah. And Alexis Sanchez. Right. Can't argue with that at all. I've got very similar. I've got Bergkamp and then I've got Aubameyang and Sanchez. Um, oh, yeah. Aubameyang's a good one, yeah. But I mean, we, interesting, interesting. You've done your favourite 11. Yeah. And Sanchez gets in. So I would say he, he, like Fabregas, is another who sort of slightly set fire to his reputation a little bit upon leaving, maybe more so, actually. But you've kind of forgiven him here. Yeah. Yeah, because he was fucking great for us. He, he was really good. He was yeah. really good. I think people, you know, um, maybe they forget. I don't know why people would forget that, because he was just a fucking... Brilliant player. He was really, really good, you know, and his, um, maybe the things that people really liked about him became things that they, they, they didn't in the end. Um, you know, but, but that desire and that willingness to look, he was a, a character that maybe wasn't perfect, but you know, you think about some of the goals that he scored for us and some of the performance performances that he put in for us. I kind of forgot about Obama Yang. He would have been a good. He would have been a good uh, man to have in that team mm, because yeah, we've not had too many Gabonese players. We have not. We have not. And I'm just thinking now with Bergkamp playing the passes for Aubameyang. Anyway, look, people can have the debate. It doesn't really matter. I'm not going to change it. Doesn't doesn't make any difference. It's quite a fun get fun exercise though. I mean, it's tough to pick a Frenchman, right? I mean, you went for Pires, understandably. Yeah. I went for Vieira just because I don't. Th- you know, I don't think we've had a player mm. like Vieira. You know, we've we, we've had great strikers. When it comes to Henri, you know, you can go Aubameyang, Van Persie, Alexis, Ian Wright. You know, there's a lot of good strikers you could choose from. But mm. in central midfield, had to be Vieira. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for me, the, you know, the, the, there's so many Frenchmen. And you have to make that decision, a very difficult decision. You know, is it Perez or is it Grimondi? So sure. I went with Perez. That's, yeah, I mean, good I mean, you know, Remy Gard was obviously push, pushing. <laughs> he was pushing. He, he'd be a first substitute, I guess. He would. He would. Um, um, yeah, so there you go. No doubt people will have their own 
um, their own versions of those teams doing the rounds. What was I going to say? There was one bit of Arsenal news this week, which was the Jason Rosenfeld thing. Um, What was your reaction to that, the the stat DNA guy leaving? Um, If any. I thought, you know, uh, whoever that intrepid reporter was got himself a good scoop. Uh, oh, it was you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in my grown-up guise. Yes. What was my reaction to it? I don't know, to be honest, because it's so difficult to know exactly what he did. Um, clearly, he's somebody who's very highly thought of. And if Arsene Wenger is a fan of him, given perhaps it took him a little bit longer than some people to come to, you know, data and analytics and and stuff like that. Um, It suggests he's a good guy. I mean, the thing about the story was that it sort of hinted at this more agent-focused recruitment approach, right? Um, I don't think the fact that Jason Rosenfeld is leaving means that we're just going to go back to, you know, as I said in the blog, pencils and ledgers, and we're going to, you know, abandon all uh, data and uh, that kind of stuff. No. Um, I guess it's who comes in to to oversee that or, or how much of a role it plays in our recruitment anyway. Yeah, I, I think that's, um, well, the first thing to say, you know, because speaking to different people about it, is that Stat DNA's role at Arsenal is much bigger than recruitment. And yeah. anyone you speak to will stress that. It's as much about, you know, assessing players' performances in game, analysing the opposition, um, analysing even training. Apparently, they've even got metrics to measure staff performance. It's a pretty, um, what's that word for like when something all encompassing mm. service? Uh, but, of course, recruitment is the bit that gets people's attention and the bit that is probably most immediately interesting to us as fans. And on that front, you'd have to say sort of a bit of a checkered record, really. I mean, what are the signings that we strongly associate with Stat DNA? Um, you know, you're talking people like Gabriel Palista, Mohamed Elneny. It's not signings that necessarily... Mustafi. Set, <laughs> Mustafi, that set the world alight. Um but I think in, this, in the examples of Gabriel and El Nenny, you'd say they were kind of cheap and kind of did what we needed them to do in that period, right? Mm. Um, they weren't disastrous buys. Uh, Mustafi, I think you would definitely have to say, was. But, yeah, I, I, it's a really tricky one because I think Arsenal are ad- adopting a more contact-led approach and certainly it seems to be the case that that's played a part in, in Jason Rosenfeld's decision. But, you know, that it's not it's not inherently a good thing or a bad thing. I think it, there's a tendency, isn't there, to look at it and be black and white about it and be like, well, that's good and that's bad. Mm. But it's not the case. It's more of a mixed bag than yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it's... Somewhere in between. It's fairly unthinkable, isn't it, that we w- wouldn't use data or stats or, or all the information that we could possibly get on a player that yeah. we are thinking about recruiting, whether, you know, you're a, uh, a contacts guy or whether you're, you know, absolutely data-led or whatever it might be. You know, you, you have to um, use as much information as possible um, when you're going to spend millions and millions of pounds on a footballer. There was a little bit here from the 
from the fans forum meeting uh, that uh, took place last month. Um, mm. Peter Hust from Arsenal Denmark did a report on Arsblog News um, and Raul said, I would never choose a player uh, for his agent. That's what Raul said. That's what Raul mm. would say, I guess. Sure. <laughs> um, Vinay said uh, the club deals with all kinds of agents and that they have a list of five things to consider when signing a player and the agent is only number five. I don't know what the other things are. Maybe the price, maybe the age, maybe mm. the scouting reports, um, you know, maybe the suitability. Uh, you know, I think there's probably a need right now. And I, I'm sort of hopeful that this might happen as and when things get going again, that our recruitment becomes more, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, better thought out. Is that it? Strategic. Yeah, more maybe. joined up. Yeah, basically. more joined up rather than like, oh God, we need one of those. Let's get him. Oh, we've got to get mm. one of those. And, you know, well, how does that fit with that? Um, so maybe, maybe, uh, you know, with Arteta there, uh, and I think he would be the kind of guy who would be quite demanding about, you know, what way his squad is built, that when things get going again, it's about finding players who fit within what he wants and what he wants from players rather than just sort of, I don't know, kind of showstoppers like, like Pepe. Yeah. And I think the other thing to say is that Arteta seems like someone who would certainly want analytics to be part of the operation moving forward. I don't think he would be the kind of coach to completely disregard that element of player assessment. And, you know, Stat DNA, Arsenal bought Stat DNA. You know, it's, it, they've mm. rebranded it. It's not called Stat DNA anymore. It's called Arsenal Data Analytics. And that remains. And the staff that Jason Rosenfeld put together remains. It's just that he won't be there kind of heading it up, as it were. Mm. So, I, you know, I, I, I'm i sure that it will remain there in, and continue doing work on our recruitment in some capacity. I mean, it, it plays two roles principally. One is to sort of narrow the field. And, you know, the, the good example that's often cited is the one of, you know, Lucas Torreira trying to find a player who had a similar statistical profile to N'Golo Kante. The other one is when you have a target and you want to confirm your assessment of him. So your scouts might say, this guy's good. And then you can just provide the stats to sort of mm. prove or disprove that. Yeah. It's a tool. Like, you know, it's one of many tools that is used in any in any player recruitment drive. Um, the, the final thing to say about Rosenfeld really is just that he was very, you know, people within Arsenal did really rate him. I mean, Arsene Wenger for one. I, I always had this kind of idea in my mind that Arsene Wenger and Stat DNA were kind of opposed. Incompatible. In yeah. Yeah, that was sort of my sense of it from the outside. Um, but in the past few days, having more conversations about it, well, look, Arsene's hired him for FIFA. I mean, you don't do that if you've got a tricky working relationship with somebody. Mm. And uh, it seems that they not only got on, but that Arsene was a big believer in Jason Rosenfeld and the work he was doing. Someone else who really rates Jason Rosenfeld very highly. And again, I thought in my mind was maybe coming at it from a slightly different angle was Sven Mislintat. Um Sven Mislintat thinks very, very highly of Jason Rosenfeld and thinks that he does some brilliant, mm. brilliant work. So, you know, Arsene Wenger and Sven Mislintat are two people whose opinions I have a certain measure of respect for. Clearly this guy's 
very competent and well-regarded, almost whatever the results Arsenal have actually put out on the pitch. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, look, look I, you know, I, yeah. Just sort of going back to recruitment and, and the way it happens and, and stuff, I do think there are reasons to be concerned. Certainly I'm concerned slightly by some of the deals that we do and, and whether we get... Um, or who gets value for the money, if you like. Mm. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, the the Cedric deal. Um, sure. I'm thinking of the Dennis Suarez deal. Uh, again, these are these are players who we spent a significant amount of money for. You know, the Dennis Suarez thing cost us four or five million pounds. You know, the Suarez-Cedric deal could be something similar. Maybe there's some kind of um, get-out clause with everything else that's that's going on. But, you know, he's going to be a pub quiz question, probably, Cedric. Yeah. Like, who joined Arsenal but never played, you know, um, because if this season goes the way we think it might or doesn't begin again, you know, that's... Yeah, I just I just worry a little bit about some of that. I worry about the... I worry about the side of Kia Jarabchin in our director's box dancing around. You know, it just... I think you, you have to be, uh, and I know this is something that's quite closely related to you, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm making it a, a point to say not all agents, but I think you have <laughs> to be suspicious yeah. or at least wary of the intentions of men who have built their careers and built their fortunes on making money by moving players from one club to another. And when one of those uh, men is is in your director's box, mm. uh, you know, I just, it just makes me a little uneasy. And other people can live with it just fine. And I'm not telling anyone what to think. Personally, it just makes me a little bit uneasy. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I mean, you know, what what I think is that the noises coming out of Arsenal for the last little while have been that they haven't got a vast amount of money to mm. spend, right? Yeah. And I just think the less money you have available, the more important it is that you are as efficient as possible with the money at your disposal. And yeah. ideally, you want as much of that to be diverted into the team and not into the pockets of agents. Yes. Um, and also, it, when you make a signing, you want to be as sure as possible that you're getting the right guy, you know, not just a guy who's available or a guy who is gettable. Uh, and statistics play a part in that. I mean, something that's noteworthy is that Liverpool, you know, who are probably the model, really, in terms of how to run a football club in the Premier League at the moment, their technical director or their director of football is the guy who formerly head, headed up their analytics department. Mm. Um you know, now, of course, I'm sort of joining some dots there, but it shows you that there is a kind of validity in that in that way of thinking. And certainly when you look at the signings they've made, there have been some pretty remarkable purchases there, both at the, at the expensive end of the scale, yeah. at the kind of Alison Van Dyke end of the scale, but also at the sort of Andy Robertson end of the scale. Mm. Um, so, yeah, look, I clearly recruitment is an area Arsenal need to improve on. Mm. And maybe Jason Roosevelt going will be part of that evolution and maybe we will improve. But maybe, yeah. When, whenever this transfer window opens or happens, mm. um, 
Yeah, I think Arsenal have a lot to prove. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we all know on a very basic level that there's something quite murky about the transfer market in general. And people Definitely. have vested interests in deals happening or not happening. Or, you know, this player is brought into a club for maybe not sporting reasons. And, and you know, there are power plays and there are all kinds of things going on. I tell you what was a really good podcast, if someone wants a recommendation to go and listen to. It was the um, David Ornstein interview with Damien Camoli. Um, mm. who was, you know, has worked uh, with Arsene Wenger at Arsenal, but also uh, Liverpool, Tottenham, uh, Fenerbahce, things like that. Very, very interesting podcast. Uh, it's on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast, which you can subscribe to, you know, wherever you get podcasts and stuff. So, yeah, look, we, we'll see. I do have some questions, actually, about the transfer market and stuff. So we, we, might, okay, cool. we might take a little break here, let people yeah. make a, a cup of tea, uh, get the other half of your Kit Kat down you. And um, we'll come back with part two and your questions right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arseblog. Also on the Arseblog Facebook page. Fuck, I forgot to do it. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on the Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arseblog member on Patreon. Uh, before we get into questions and the, the exciting update that's uh, coming this uh, Thursday, I'll tell you about now in a second. There is a bit of an update from, from Arsenal, James. Or uh, yeah, Yes. Uh, there is. They have said that they will commit to paying match day and non-match day casual workers up until April 30th. Uh, and that situation is obviously open to further review, depending on what happens with the fixtures. So I think April 30th is the date the Premier League have set, isn't it? In mm. terms of when they they potentially will be back. But yes. of course, we all expect that to be pushed further mm. and further back. We will see. We will see. Hopefully it is back because that will mean things are better. Yeah. Um, Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. Thursday, yes. Thursday. Thursday night football is back. Yes. It's like the Europa League of video gaming is about to take place on Thursday night. Yes. Um, the long-awaited return of Arsblog versus Gunnerblog on FIFA. FIFA 20. Have you been practising? Uh, I've played about three games, so... It's kind of the same as... It's the same. I mean, you know when you first play, they sort of measure how bad you are Mm. and they give you, like, a level. They they put me as world-class, so... 
I've, I'm a world. I mean, I imagine there's a level above that because I'm not particularly good. But come on, this you know, I'm ready. I'm ready. World class. Okay, we are. You know, I presume we're going to do it the same way we did last time. Arsenal versus Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking like, should we initiate some sort of lot- lottery system or you know, like a, a draw where we get certain players? But are we just allowed to use whoever we want? Yeah, I think we use whoever we want. That's fine. Okay, great. That's fine. One of us will be home kit, one will be away, or we might switch it up a bit and we'll play probably three games. Best uh, of three. Yeah. Well, actually, we'll play three, whatever happens. We'll play three. if you win the first two, I'll seek my revenge in the third. Okay. By getting all my... Getting, getting all your men all your sent players off. injured. Yes, yeah, yeah. for sure. Okay, so join us. I'm not quite sure what time yet. We'll figure out the time uh, and the technicalities of it, but... It's a Thursday, so the kickoff could be anything from 3 p.m. till 9 o'clock, you know. Yeah, exactly. 11 p.m. In the Europa League tradition. <laughs> uh, yeah, and of course, you can join us. We'll be uh, live streaming it. This is the thing. We will be live streaming it on YouTube. Um, yeah. So you can, uh, you know, just keep an eye on the timelines and stuff like that. We'll tweet out the links and all that, assuming we can make it work. But I think between us, uh, we should be able to. Speaking of, of um, lottery systems for players. Yes. We have a question from the Discord from George B. And he says, good morning, both. Hope you're well. Likewise, um, you're presented with an opportunity to have a one-off special five-a-side games with members of the current squad. You are both captains and must draft four other starters and one sub. Who are you picking and whose team wins? So oh, this is great. I love this. So how are we going to decide who goes first on first. this? Because when you have the Let's... lottery, there must be like an online toy uh, coin toss, is there? Well, maybe you could do a thing where the person who goes second gets two picks. Like the crazy penalty shootout thing. Yeah. Or do you not like that? I don't like that. Okay. There's a website called Just Flip a Coin. Right. All right. I trust you. Justflipacoin.com. And you refresh the page and it spins between heads and tails and then it tells you which one it is. So I will let you pick. Call it. I'll call it. Or you call it and I'll do the refresh and I'll tell you whether you go first or not. Hmm. Okay, I call heads. Okay, here we go. Spinny, 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 spinny. Heads it is. Heads Heads it it is. is. So I pick first. You pick first. So, of the current squad for my five-a-side team. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to pick... Oh, that's really hard, actually. I'm going to pick... And this is going to surprise everybody, Meza Erzl. Okay. Yeah. Good five-a-side player, I think. Good five-a-side player. Um, your pick. My pick. Okay, so I'm just keeping your team. So James, Erzl, Andrew. I am going to pick Danny Ceballos. Good pick. Um, keep it moving. My next pick is David Luiz. Okay. He's your, your sort of central figure at the back, do you know what I mean? Mm. I'm going to pick Aubameyang. Okay, somebody had to. Um, okay. Oh, 
my God. I can't believe the team I've picked. I'm going to pick Pepe. Okay. Martinelli. Good pick. Um, I'm going to pick... Hang on. Have I only got one more? You've got one more plus a sub. Okay, well, Leno. Wow, what a waste. What a waste. Um... But I need a keeper, no? Take turns, man. Just <laughs> that's what you do in five aside. Don't play actual goalkeepers. Are you out of your mind? But anyway, you said it. It's written down. No going right. back on it now. Listen, when you know you've got Callum Chambers in goal or something, and I'm scoring loads of goals past you, you'll be sorry. Um, I am gonna pick Reese Nelson. Right. So I've got one sub. Maybe pick another goalkeeper just in case Leno gets injured. Yeah, all right, all right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to pick... Oh, five aside. God, it's tricky. Uh, this is a weird choice from me. Eddie and Katia. Okay. He, he, he learned his trade playing in the cages in South London. I think he'll be a good five-a-side player. All right. Um, let me think. I've got my sub. Lacazette still available. He is. Uh, yeah. Torreira still available. Uh, well, Mustafi, of course. Yeah. Hector Bellerin. Matt Macy, you know. Matt Macy. I mean, I, you've got to be thinking about Matt Macy. Be thinking. I am going to go for Torreira. Okay. So, the teams are? So, my team is Leno and Goal. Yeah. Uh, and then me and Louise at the back. Yeah. And then sort of Ozil behind Pepe. Okay. I'm the left-sided centre-half in this part. I'm very much the Pablo Marie of that team. Yeah. But less handsome. Clearly... <laughs> I've got uh, Aubameyang obviously in goal because you know he likes he likes to go in goal so sure uh, he he's can, starting in goal he's starting in goal and then you know when you get tired it's like who's next lads lads yeah yeah lads. when you see someone flagging lads who's next lads and nobody looks at you lads come on whose turn I know it's uh, awkward isn't it it's a bit I know look I mean we've been doing it for so long now nobody really shirks their goalkeeping responsibilities so uh, you know myself obviously as the the, the sweeper kind of guy and we've got Sabios uh, and Martinelli and Nelson as a front three fuck it it's five aside go for it uh, listen we'll let the listeners decide but I think my team's winning that game <gasps> do you yeah not sure about that. Not sure about that. You know, you've got okay. you've got Leno. What's you know? So look, I've got a good goalkeeper who can pass the ball, right? Yeah, five aside. Five aside goals are pretty small usually. So you know. Yeah, so he won't concede any. You would N- think. Neither would any half competent person who's you know can kick a football. They'd be just as good as a goalkeeper, I think. What about when Lucas Torreira has to go and goal for your team? I'll just aim for the corners. <laughs> Not just, me. I, I won't aim for the corners. A, lo- a, load, of, a load of delicate lobs just yeah. <laughs> over Lucas Torreira and in the two and a half foot high goal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Do you know what? I would absolutely love to watch Arsenal players play five-a-side. Yeah, like competitive five-a-side, yeah. Yeah, like, I, li- I like watching the Masters when it happens, you know, like when they get all the old players out and, mm. you know, it's great because, like, some guy who's a bit out of shape will still absolutely have it and it's brilliant to watch. But, yeah, I'd love to see that. Like, I think they- I've got a feeling they've done it in... I seem to remember Barcelona playing, like, a futsal game. Do you remember this? Against no. Real Madrid or something? No, really? In, like, a charity event. I've got a vague memory of that. It seems like the sort of thing a player would never be allowed to do for insurance yeah. purposes. But Some of those guys are fucking... Do you ever see some of the clips that do the rounds and there's, like, some random... Brazilian dude playing yeah. in a gym somewhere in Rio de Janeiro and he's just like how are you doing that with a football I don't understand how are you doing that with a football and also like how are you not a footballer like obviously I do understand there's a big difference but imagine being that good at football and like being like yeah but I just you know didn't we have I could be wrong and maybe this is a dream uh, you know a, a late night cheese dream or something you know I didn't we have like a guy on trial some years ago, and he was like the world keepy-up champion or the no. master skills guy. Yeah. Am I dreaming I remember that? us being linked with, what was his name? Sonny, the guy, like who was a kid, English kid who was with Ajax, who just had done keepy-ups in an advert. He was like a child, and he was called Sonny something, and Arsenal were like Sonny Delight. In him. Sonny Delight, that was his name. But um, he was <laughs> he was banned for illegal substances. Um, <laughs> I yeah I, I, I don't know I uh, I don't remember that story. Maybe you have dreamt right. that. You know, on FIFA we could play the weird three aside game thing. The what? You know, on FIFA twenty, there's like the the little futsal style game. No, within it, I didn't know that. What? No, I didn't know. Yeah. That. Really? Yeah. Okay. In the intro, don't they make you play it? You're like, when I loaded it up anyway, you get this sort of cinematic intro of Vinicius Jr. in the favelas and then you have to play a three-a-side game. God, I don't remember that you at all. You just skip through all that, I imagine. I do. You know what, with video games, like, I want to play the game. I don't need to watch acting. No, I didn't want to, but I, f- I felt like I had to. I didn't. Right. There wasn't a, an escape button, so I don't know how you've circumnavigated it. Maybe, a, maybe I did it and I forgot. But it's like FIFA Street. Do you remember FIFA Street? I, I'm aware of it. I don't think I ever played it, but uh, sure. you know, can you can you can you still play that within the game? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's basically like that. It's three aside, um, and the goals are really small. Right. And I find it really hard to kick it in the goal. <laughs> it's just like real life. There are no goalkeepers, though. Right. As there shouldn't be in five uh, There you go. Is it time for magpie facts? No, nah, time for a question. Save the magpie fact for the end. Come on. <sighs> okay, fine. We'll do a question. Right. Does it have to be about football, the question? Doesn't have to be, no. I mean, there is uh, no football. I mean... Okay. Andy Saunders, then, mm-hmm. who's... Uh, at 09 Andy Pandy 88 what is the most physical pain you've been in and then it is related to football because it says does it come close to having no football what is the most physical pain I've ever been in I guess it was when I broke my arm or my How arm did you do that car crash oh 
Mm. It's quite serious. I was in were the you, passenger. Were you driving? Passenger. No, I was a passenger coming uh, late night, coming back from a gig where a friend of mine um, used to put on gigs around town and stuff like that. And he'd advertised this gig, some DJ from some club in Ibiza. Um, right. was supposed to be DJing. And for whatever reason, that didn't happen. And he rang me at the last minute and asked me, will you do the gig? And I went, yeah, of course. And then he said, you, you also have to pretend to be like a DJ from Ibiza. Uh, so if anyone asks, you're working in one of the big clubs in Ibiza. So I was sure. like, okay, sure, I'll Did do it. Did you dress up in character sort of thing? <laughs> no, I didn't go in my swim shorts. And okay. I, 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 definitely, <laughs> I definitely wasn't tanned. I can tell you that. Right, okay. Um, so did the gig and it was fine, I think. And as we were driving home, he was giving me a lift home. Uh, the This guy, we were going straight through a crossroads, or, you know, um, uh, and we had the lights and this guy just drove straight into the side of the car. And my left arm, I got out of the car going, ah, that's the wrong way. That shouldn't be like that. And my oh arm my was God. kind of like the wrong way. Um so that was very painful, but what made it worse was that the, the ambulance people arrived and I was holding my arm and they were really nice and, you know, they got put my arm into a kind of a sling, you know, that way and they yeah. took me onto the ambulance and they were like, look, we'll get you down to the hospital and blah, blah, blah. They took off in the ambulance at like 80 miles an hour and it, have you ever been in the back of an ambulance? Uh, incredibly for me, no. <laughs> okay, good. Um, they're rattly fucking things. They really rattle you about when they're going at high speed. So every rattle was like, and my and arm so was going like, bump uh, 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 yeah, speed bumps, fuck it, boom. You know, um, that was very, very painful. So I think that was probably the most physical pain I've been in. Well, that does sound painful. What about I, you? I, oh, so many to choose pick, from. Pick I, one. <laughs> I can't narrow it down. I need the analytics guys to help me narrow the field. Um, most pain. Oh, the most pain I've ever been in. And it's not particularly pleasant. If you're a bit squeamish, then you might not enjoy this. I had to have a camera go uh, through one an orifice, right? And uh, <laughs> like, I reckon it would be snake. It would be bottom of everyone's everyone's list. Um, you know, I don't think there's any pleasure to be derived from it. And basically, what happens is the camera goes up and they squirt a load of water up through into your bladder, through your urethra, so they can inflate your bladder and have a look inside it and see, like, right. is there anything bad? And they're like, the problem is then... How can I describe it? The camera that goes in is like an arrowhead, right? It's tiny, but it looks like an arrowhead. So it goes in relatively easily. But on the way out, it like scrapes the whole way. It's like, it's a, sort of, like a cat's mickey. Basically, yeah. And it sort of scratches the inside of your urethra. <laughs> And then, and that's that's quite bad. And you're like, oh, that's quite bad. And then, but obviously what they've done, they've inflated you full of water. So within moments of them finishing the test, you have to pass that water. And that, going to the toilet, that wee was the most painful moment of my life. It's like <laughs> urinating 
fire. Oh I mean, my there's God. nothing, there's nothing like it. I was sort of, they sort of say, you know, have you got someone to drive you home? And you're like, yeah, but why should I, I'll be fine. And then honestly, like I was bent double in pain. Oh um, no. And that's true for the sort of next, probably the next 12 hours or so every mm. time you go to the loo. And they're like, drink a lot of water, flush it out. And I, and you know, you do, but you're like, I wish I, I wish there was some other way of getting this water out of me. Um, Oh. So yeah, look. It, I mean, good luck to anyone if you got to have that test. Apologies if it's like coming up next week, but it's no fun. Yes, but all clear, all clear. Well, that's good. That's the main thing. That's Unlike the, the urine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> red. Uh, speaking of of urine, um, yes. I, I just read a piece this morning. It's a, a really good interview with um, Colo Toure in the oh, Independent yeah. uh, by Miguel Delaney. And uh, I, li- <laughs> I like uh, Colo when he was banned for taking that substance. Mm, he said... Diet pills, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, the worst part was doing something and not knowing I had done anything wrong. All I did was take something to make me do more pee-pee. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, that is, I mean, I hope that's the headline. All I did was take something to make me do more pee Yeah, yeah. My PP Nightmare by Colo My PP <laughs> I sat down with Colo Torre. We, we talked about football, life, and PP. And his PP Nightmare. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is good. That is good. Anyway, here's a question from... Mark in Malta on the Discord, who says, given the athletic article on Bellerin's vegan diet and its potential downsides to his effectiveness on the pitch, to what extent do you believe Premier League clubs can influence a player's diet contractually or otherwise? Uh, And I think I had one um, here on Twitter as well who referenced that. Um, Kyle, who's at Destructible Cake. Uh, says, general thoughts on the Gunnar Blog article in The Athletic regarding Bellerin's choice to turn vegan in 2016 and whether you think it has an effect on his ability on the field and if you believe from a a sporting perspective going vegan helps or hinders players. Um, Full disclosure here, I haven't had a chance to read that article yet, so you're (laughs) going to have to tell me. (laughs) That's all right. Uh, Most of the people sending me messages about it I don't think have either. I mean, it's, it's, it's genuinely interesting because I've sort of been researching this for quite a long time and I've been a little bit wary to write about it because it's you know it is a a hot topic and it's one people feel really passionately about the reason I chose to write about it as I mentioned in the piece is that a few you know I had learnt uh come to understand that there were people within Arsenal who had some concerns that maybe Hector's diet wasn't giving him the optimum chance of rehabilitating to the maximum um and they're only concerns, but, you know, those concerns do exist. It's it, To answer the question of to what extent can Arsenal force a player to eat certain things, they can't, I don't think, no. uh, at all. And Arsenal themselves really support Hector in his choice. And, you know, they have plant-based options at the training ground. They take plant-based options away when they, when they travel. You know, it's something that certain players would choose for... Different reasons, you know, it could be religious reasons, could be ethical reasons, could be reasons of sustainability. They're not going to tell someone to not do that. Of course not. And the job of the nutritionists that, who work at the club is to uh, assess, like they do with any player who eats any diet, that, you know, do the blood tests, make sure that they're hitting the right markers mm. and where they're not 
offer guidance and offer supplements. Um, the interesting thing about Hector is that he says that he doesn't take supplements. And that's something I write about in the piece, because if you speak to Premier League nutritionists, and I spoke to several, unfortunately, not all of them are able to comment because they work for other Premier League clubs or for Arsenal. Um, they feel that to be vegan uh, and be an elite athlete you probably do require supplementation because it's just so difficult to mm. eat the required amount. For example, if the, the, the protein uh, that you get from plants, say in beans, for example, you have to ingest a lot of fibre alongside that. So it's kind of an impractical amount of food to eat. You'll be too full, essentially. Sure. Um, so it, it's a really interesting one. Do I think that Hector's diet is inhibiting his performance? Prob I don't know. Is the truth. Nobody can tell. Do I think that his cruciate ligament injury is more relevant? Probably. Yeah. I mean, mm. you know, people look at Hector and they say, well, he doesn't look what he was. Well, he is still coming back from a massive, massive injury. And he has been on this diet since 2016. It's not like he started doing it while he was out, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just an interesting one. And, you know, one of the things that was interesting to learn is like, Jermaine Defoe, for example, is always cited as a vegan footballer. He's not actually a vegan. He eats fish the night before a game. He eats fish the day of a game. Chris Smalling, I believe, is following a vegan diet and he's doing extremely well, probably having one of the best seasons of his career. It's it's just one factor, I suppose, diet that contributes to performance. But um, what I would say is I what I do love about Hector is that he does take these positions on things and... You know, I think there was a big sporting impetus to him to go vegan. He felt it would reduce his inflammation and stuff like that. But right. I, I also think that he, well, he, he's made clear that once he learnt more about it, you know, there were ethical reasons for that too. And I think that's commendable. And anybody who is a vegan, I think it's, to be honest, quite impressive. And I think probably a, a good thing. And mm. For your average person who's not an elite athlete, of course, you can live a perfectly healthy life in that way. And any any nutritionist would tell you vegetables should always be the basis of your diet anyway if you want to be healthy. But I do think it's an interesting – it's still a worthwhile debate, you know, mm. what is it an optimum diet for someone in Premier League football? Um, yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. We'll have to. Um, we'll have to read wait it. And let me know what you think. I will. I'll have a read. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I uh, should have. It's it's one of those tricky ones where like you know I I love Hector basically and I think he's a great guy and a brilliant ambassador and I love everything that he does and so in no way is the article at all intended to criticise his position it's mm. just attempted to address some of those concerns and sort of show to a degree both sides yeah. of that debate. I suppose the other thing I, I every time I hear about uh, this kind of thing and I hear about nutritionists I can't. Um, help but recall the Dara O'Brien bit. I don't know if you've seen I can't it. remember that. But What's basically, that? you know, uh, how, uh, if the, the gist of it in my head is right, but, you know, the protected term for somebody like this is a dietitian, right? Mm. To be a dietitian, you have to have, uh, you know, a qualification, whereas anybody could call themselves a nutritionist. Right. And he sort of drew... Uh, parallels with dentists. Like, <laughs> the dentist is the guy who's got, like, all the qualifications. Would you go and see a toothologist? 
<laughs> I don't yeah, think it sure. Would. But no, sure. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, you know, saying that to downplay anybody's yeah. um, uh, life and work as a nutritionist. I'm sure um, there are lots and lots of uh, people doing great work in that. I just always think of it when I hear the term. So, yeah, I, I, it was interesting to learn more about the way Arsenal, um, you know, sort of facilitate players' diets and. You know, they they when they arrive at the training ground, there are these iPads on the tables, and they just order sort of whatever they want. Sounds lovely, to be honest. Does, Being a footballer, it? there's a lot that's nice about that. Yeah, it's good quality food, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Mm. Um, let's have a question. Okay, this is a really, really broad question. I don't know if you'll like it, but we'll do it anyway. It's from Cluck, the rotisserie chicken. Very much not a vegan contributor to the Discord. <laughs> Still alive, though, so he's escaped the clutches of... <laughs> he's a rotisserie chicken to be, to I be. imagine. <laughs> um, he just says, simply, dream summer signing. And then he says, for me, Upa Meccano, get it done, please. What uh, would your dream summer signing be? Oh, my God. Um... That's a really good question. It is. Like, I don't I don't it, know. Would it be a centre half? I don't think it would be for me. I think for me it would be a central midfield player. I think I would like that more, but I don't, you know. I can't even think of any footballers. Yeah. At this point. Because I'd probably just t- take a punt on like one of the highly rated boys out of France, you know. A, a Bubakari Sumare, someone like that, and say, yeah, "Ah, you know, yeah, the old Bubakari Sumares." Just hang your one hat of those, on one, you know, one, you know, one of your Bubakari <laughs> Bubakari Sumares. Yeah, one um, of those just guys. Pick one of them off the shelf. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just hope for the best. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, spend massive on. money for a player from Leo. It worked so well last summer. Why not? Yeah, I don't see how it could fail. Um, <laughs> we had sort of questions, slightly more serious ones. Um, what will happen when the transfer window opens? Asks Dando Phillips. Um, same old, same old, or responsible transfers? And uh, further to that, Clarky, who's at Tom Clarky underscore, says, uh, further, further to your discussion in the pod on Friday, do you think it's possible clubs like Arsenal charging high prices will have to adjust ticket pricing to fill the grounds post this crisis as the unfortunate reality is that football may fall down the priorities list? So deal with the, the transfers first. Well, I think the transfer market is going to be massively impacted by what's going on. I mean, even just the economics you know, surely is going to have a knock-on effect, even in football, as insulated as that is. Mm. Um, I mean, I think the Premier League... I don't think the Premier League can allow the registration of any new players before this season is finished. You know, their their Mm. aim is to preserve the sporting integrity of the competition, right? And I think that's correct and positive, wherever possible. And, And on that basis... If a player's not with a club now, I don't think he can join a club before they finish playing those 38 games. But I, I guess what will be difficult is that leagues across different countries will start playing at different times. Mm. So trying to create a sort of uniform window. I think we will get a scenario where you know players sign for clubs but aren't able to actually play for them for months. Yeah, I, I can foresee that happening. Um I kind of think it's the only way. Maybe there'll be grant dispensation to appear in, I don't know, 
some get like you know under 23 games or something like that i mean but this whole thing is predicated on the idea of football being back and it's and, and as we said in part one it you know it sort of hurts my head every time i try to think about how mm. i i just wonder if there might be some kind of moratorium on transfers for really a while yeah what about the players who are out of contract though do you think that would be different they'll they'll be granted freedom to move yeah it's a good question um cuz you know let's say the premier league let's say somehow the situation dramatically improves and the premier league does get going again this summer but it's going to go beyond the june 30th point where most contracts expire i don't think it'd be too difficult for clubs and it'd be in the interest of players potentially to sort of put you know a two month extension on a deal mm. uh, I, I think that is plausible if the player is up for it but yeah it, it is tricky uh, it is really really tricky and it's one of the big things that they have to try and solve I've got no idea yeah. I'm not expecting vast amounts of money to be spent in the next transfer window whatever happens no me neither I mean I think we might see a, a significant fall if and when transfers do uh, start again uh, a fall in the in the market value of players mm. you know if clubs don't have as much money to spend but players still need to move and want to move and clubs have to sell and, and all those kind of things yeah, maybe there's just going to be a financial um, balancing or whatever that might be. I don't know. It's just yeah, impossible, I, really, to say, isn't it? What what what's going to happen and how? I mean, it's there have been happen. some suggestions, some that players might be asked to take wage cuts, not necessarily at Arsenal specifically, but that's been a broader conversation. Mm. Um, and you know, that would be fascinating. I, must, I saw Darren Bent was on Talksport today saying. I think it was Darren Bent. I, I do occasionally get him confused with Marcus Bent, so I want to be careful about that. Uh, but I think he was saying, "Oh, I don't think it'd be right for a player to have to take a." It was Darren Bent, take a player uh, a wage cut. Yeah. But I mean, if the clubs are suffering and the Premier League is suffering, you know, they're, they're, I can foresee that happening, especially given that the players are just at home. I mean, it's yeah. Who knows? Mm. As for ticket prices, what do you think? I mean, I think if, if people are if people have lost their jobs, if, if the financial realities of this thing really impact on people um, in, a, in a significant way, mm. the things that suffer are, I suppose, the, the luxuries, you know, entertainment, um, well, your look, season ticket. Any, I'm always reluctant to talk about silver linings or sort of anything positive to come from this crisis because it is so overwhelmingly sad and awful. Mm. But I do think that it's possible that in the sort of not too distant future, you know, it might uh, help create or rebuild some sense of community and maybe slightly change the way we look at society mm -hmm. and the way we look at business. And I, and I... I would like to think that it's more likely that, you know, coming out of this crisis, maybe football ticket prices would be something that would be dropped, you know, to fit in with people's revised budgets. Um, call me a crazed optimist, but, you know, football can afford probably to, to do that. Some football can afford to do it. A lot of football can't, though. You know, a lot of... Um, yes, that's true. Premier you know, League, Premier League is a different animal, you know, even compared to the Championship or League One and Two, and those clubs are going to face um, significant problems as well. And I think there's a duty um, within the game of football to protect, you know, those clubs as, as much as anything else. Mm. Um, so, you know... 
I don't know. I don't know. I mean, look, I'd like to think things will change and we can look at, you know, get some perspective on what's important and what's not important and, and everything else. But we also need the escapes. We need these things on a societal level, you oh, know, to get us away from absolutely the day-to-day. And h- how much do you notice, you know, how much of a sort of calendar sport provides, particularly mm. at weekends? It gives so much structure and distraction, recreation. I mean... I know we said it was difficult in part one, but, you know, if there were games behind closed doors at the moment, I mean, imagine people would be chomping at the bit to watch it. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I miss Premier League football and I miss Arsenal, but I think I miss the the broader sporting cal- calendar too. It's just it's a bit empty. Yeah, there was always me. something on. There was yeah. always something on. And I don't, you know, there's never been a time where all sport basically has stopped. So, here we are. Yes, it's a weird old time. I think we might as well uh, do it, do the magpie fact. Do the magpie fact. But before we do, can I just give a shout out to uh, Danny Clark, who is at Scanamadan on Twitter, and he made a video of the bad guy magpie thing we did last week. It's extraordinary. It's really good. He's kind of um, put magpie heads on to Billie Eilish and stuff like that. Uh, you can check it out on his YouTube channel, which is, uh, I think it's also uh, at Scanamadan. Uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes of this, so you can have a look at it if you want. Yeah, I'll try and tweet it out. Mm. It's great. Much appreciated. Um, are we going to drop in a magpie theme? I mean, maybe drop in the hard rock one. From Actually, do you know what? What? I'm just going to do an acoustic one, old school style. Now. Okay, right. Right. Okay, hang on. Let me just... Uh, Magpies! Turn the mics down. Yeah, yeah. Magpies! <laughs> flying in the sky. Flouting social distancing. Because they're flying too close together. Magpies! They're less than two metres apart. What is wrong with them? Why are they so evil? Magpies! Magpie facts! Bravo! Thank you. <laughs> um, just off the top of my head. And uh, my magpie facts this week... Okay. Is an extraordinary story. I'm trying to find where I can uplifting magpie facts, which is hard because they're so bloody evil. Yeah. Um, but in Queensland, uh, in Australia, is that Australia? I think. Y- yes. Yeah. I had a panic that it might be New Zealand. It sometimes happens. A woman, a bird-loving woman, who started caring for an injured magpie, now finds her home inundated with them in the early hours of every morning. And honestly, this woman. There are magpies all over her house. She's got magpies on her sofa. She's got magpies on her table. Like She's probably got magpies up her chimney. And that's not a euphemism. <laughs> there are magpies. <laughs> you can't move for magpies in this woman's house. Like real ones and not like a crazy cat lady who's got like... Live magpies. Live magpies. Wow. Incredible. And um, it all started, she told ABC News when we started feeding one that had a broken beak. That's the first mistake right there. He told his friends. Right, so after this, I got interested because I was thinking, like, what happens when a bird breaks their beak? It's a pretty, so I started, pretty, pretty uh, serious injury, I would say. It's a pretty serious injury for a bird, but yeah. there are things you can do. Did you know that they grow back? No. Yeah. like, like if you take, fingernails. Yeah, very similar. Like, if you take a nick out of a beak... They grow back. Wow. And, yeah, isn't that incredible? 
But if the beat comes off entirely, I don't know what you would be doing for that to happen. But there was a dentist who repaired a, a bird's beak by making a beak. <laughs> this is true. Making a beak out of the same stuff they make teeth, like crowns out of for teeth. Right. So anyway, that's like a bonus beak fact. Beak fact. But if a bird beaks, if a bird's beak breaks, apparently you can glue it back together. I'm not, and that's not a wind up. And I'm not try. Don't do this. Take the bird to a vet. But you can super glue a bird's beak <laughs> back together. I'm just imagining all the listeners going. I'm not sure about that. I'm going to go out now. I'm going to get yeah. a bird. I'm going to break its beak to fuck, and then get yeah. a uh, some super glue. It'll, and put all the pieces back together. The guidance says, and this is advice, this is government advice, but let's hope you follow it. That's what we're doing at the moment. Mm. You be careful not to get the glue in the bird's mouth or eyes. Now, when you're gluing the beak, not getting it in the mouth is difficult. <laughs> anyway, what? so this woman, right. she lives in the house with the magpies. And they are sort of happily ever after. It says they're there in the mornings. How does she offers them a gourmet menu every morning? Of what? Sunflower seeds, oats. Right. Hector Bellerin would be happy. He'll be around there next. But I um <laughs> no, no, he can't actually, because it also says dead crickets and mealworms. Oh no, he wouldn't like that. He wouldn't like no. that at all. But we are gonna have to start eating insects. The magpies leading the way again. Anyway, there's a woman in Australia. Is anyone still listening? <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> For you. There's a woman in Australia. She's got 50 magpies in her house. It's too many. I'll, tw- I'll, too many. I'll tweet a picture. You won't believe... You, uh, this sounds like a headline, doesn't it? You won't believe how many magpies this woman has in her house. Do those... I mean... Do they shit everywhere? I was going to say, do the magpies do pee-pee? <laughs> do they pee-pee in the house? <laughs> the magpies have taken the magic colour pee-pee pills and consequently... They, they, it, she does say it. Um, I do come out every morning and hose down, she says. Yuck. Yuck. But listen, what a beautiful image. People and magpies reunited, joining together. Mm. Well, um, there you go. I just want to say that while I'm doing this, my, my wife has crept into the room and started filming me because she could just hear a man shout about magpies. Uh, go away. <laughs> I look forward to seeing this this yeah. video. Yeah, I, I'm sure it looks great. I'm sure I look really sane and well-adjusted and, like, being inside all the time isn't affecting me at all. No, not at all. While we're talking about magpies going pee-pee around an Australian woman's house. <laughs> what could be more normal than this, James? You're right. You're right. Yeah. Well, I'll speak to you, as you know, on Thursday. <laughs> on Thursday, of course, when we get the... Uh, when we get the FIFA thing going, uh, those of you who are members on Patreon, look out for the Sesc uh, uh, interview. It's dropping at 3 p.m. Uh, yeah. Today, um, there's going to be some more stuff during the week. Uh, you know, obviously the Sesc will be going out on Wednesday. Um, I've also got a, a little bit of a music thing planned uh, for people. So I'll give you more details on that when I have it more uh, substantial. But that's something that might pass your time as well. And look, we'll keep writing and blogging and podcasting and all that kind of stuff. Uh, as ever, thank you for listening, the three of you that are left now after that magpie extravaganza. <laughs> and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.